morning. Today is Friday, December the 1st, 2017. My name is John Richardson. I am speaking to you from downtown Toronto, Canada. And uh, this is the first of what will be, we anticipate, a number of, uh, of video sessions on what it means to be a taxpayer abroad. And I can tell you that never, uh, at least in my lifetime, has it been more exciting to be a taxpayer in general uh, with all the change that's going on and all the, uh, the danger. But I can tell you that to be a taxpayer abroad is extremely exciting because whether you're, you're living in your country of tax residence, and we'll get to that in one second, and, uh, you know, and, and committing sort of personal finance and bank accounts in countries other than your tax residence, or worse yet, uh, if you are a, a resident of, say, Canada or the United States and you want to move outside one of those countries, uh, it, uh, it, it opens up a door of, uh, of exciting opportunities and difficulties. Uh, interestingly, uh, as I am speaking, the uh, Senate in the United States is uh, making the, uh, the final debate. I assume they're going to vote today on the new uh, so-called so tax reform in the United States, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And, uh, there's been a great deal of lobbying, a lot of work done to try to, in uh, the U.S. definition of tax residence, which is a citizenship, uh, which basically means that uh, American citizenship is maybe a bit like an American Express card. It's just that uh, it's not a question of don't leave home without it. It's that if you leave home with American citizenship, you're stuck with it for good. Uh, and that does include a number of, uh, of, tax, uh, of tax obligations that we'll get to. Um, Interestingly, you know, the tax reform issue is, uh, and it doesn't appear that there's going to be relief for Americans abroad, at least for the moment. That's one issue. But if you've been reading the media for the last few years, there's this whole idea of the, the nefarious, the, the, the offshore bank account. You know, you've heard about the, uh, the Paradise uh, Papers and, uh, and all these sorts of things, the Panama Papers. And uh, so we're going to be talking about all these things and what it means to be a tax resident in a certain place and how to protect yourself. And, uh, you know, I can't do this alone. I wanted to be conversational. So I, I'm a lawyer by profession, so I've invited uh, CPA Olivier Wagner uh, to participate in these things with me. We'll be piping him in in one second because, uh, you know, it's very important to get, get the perspectives of, of this type of stuff from somebody who, you know, sort of lives a life 24-7 trying to keep taxpayers abroad compliant. Uh, with their uh, numerous, uh, numerous obligations, and you'll be amazed at how extreme these obligations are. But lately, you've been hearing a lot about, you know, all these people who have bank accounts, financial accounts outside their country of tax residence. And before we pipe Olivier in for the discussion here, I thought it might be interesting to have a look at a quick video of former President Obama uh, talking about this, acknowledging that on the one hand it's perfectly legal, uh, but on the other hand, making it clear that it is uh, considered to be uh, a problem, okay, and that uh, job number one is to, uh, is to have an environment where taxpayers pay the taxes that they owe or supposedly owe. In any case, Chris, can you pipe in the, uh, the short video clip to get us started? In the news over the last couple of days, uh, we've had another reminder uh, in this big dump of data coming out of Panama that tax avoidance is a big global problem. And that's all I have. I have no shares, no offshore trusts, no offshore funds, nothing like that. The Panama Papers is equivocado. Nosotros somos grandes incorporadores, pero afuera, en las Islas Vírgenes, en Bahamas, 
en, en Nevada. Y esta gente ahora está diciendo que son todo este montón de gente que nosotros no conocemos, que nunca en la vida hemos visto, que son nuestros clientes, lo cual es falso y, 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 e injusto. In our understanding, this is nothing else by, but a reflection of, uh, let's say, uh, an overwhelmed uh, Putinophobia disease. Treasury Department actions will make it more difficult and less lucrative for companies. It's not unique to other countries because, frankly, there are folks here in America who are taking advantage of the same stuff. A lot of it's legal, but that's exactly the problem. And unless uh, the United States and other countries lead by example in closing some of these loopholes and provisions, uh, then in many cases, you can trace what's taking place, but you can't stop it. In the news, over... Okay, now that's kind of interesting, because what's really going on there is that that's a video describing a people who apparently may have had bank or financial accounts outside their country of tax residence. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, as President Obama or former President Obama indicated. But there is a perception that in many cases uh, the income from those accounts may not be or have been reported as taxable income to the country of tax residents. So uh, whereas uh, in a previous era uh, the kind of uh, horse that you had or the kind of farm that you had might have been important, in the modern world today in the 21st century, the country where you are a tax resident will define very much about the kind of life you have. And so to discuss tax residence today, we're now going to be joined by Olivier Wagner, who's uh, basically an international uh, CPA. So welcome, Olivier. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Okay. And uh, are, do you agree with me that uh, one of the most interesting, exciting, and important things about a person in the 21st century is their country of tax residence? It's definitely an important factor that... Um, that can drive people's lives and and people can go through great extents to um, to get out of a given, given country or to comply with the tax laws of their country of residence. Yes, definitely. Well, I mean, it's truly incredible, isn't it? Because, I mean, there's a whole industry now that seems to have grown up around the idea of getting people, of severing tax residents in one country and becoming a, ta uh, becoming a tax resident of another country. Are you seeing a lot of that? Yes, yes. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I especially work with U.S. tax, and even though it's had a citizenship-based taxation for, for a very long time, it's only now that it's really getting enforced with FATCA and, and other similar laws. Well, you know, we'll so, come back. Yeah, we'll come back to the whole uh, U.S. definition of tax residence in a few minutes. Uh, I mean, I think we'll just simply call that one tax residence American style uh, because, you know, that's a different kind of tax residence altogether. I mean, that's effectively tax residence based on who you are, you know, as opposed to, as opposed to where you live. But we'll get back to that in a second. 
Um, you know, perhaps starting uh, closer to home to understand the concept of tax residence. And I can tell you that this is going to become increasingly important. Um, now, basically, what, what, would you agree with this that what tax residence means, if you're a tax resident of a country, is that that country has the right to impose whatever its tax laws happen to be on you. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes. So in other yes. words, if you're a tax resident of Canada, you would be subject to Canadian tax laws. If you were yes. a tax resident of New Zealand, you would be subject to New Zealand tax laws. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're a tax resident of the United States, you're subject to uh, not only U.S. tax laws, but the tax laws of any other country you may live in, correct? Yes, yes. Um, okay. Well, definitely the U.S., then, um, yeah, then fees can get invested based on the definitions of, of the other country. Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the idea of tax residence in general. Now, would you think that if I were to say to you, ask you the question, why would you have to pay tax in a country? Okay. What would your answer be? What would make sense to you? Why would somebody have to pay tax to a country? Well, the reasoning that is usually given is that they get benefits from, from the government, either directly in the form of social benefits or indirectly by enjoying the infrastructure of that country. Now, now you're talking like a CPA. You mean you, you live there? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, pretty much. Um, when it comes to citizens who don't live there, uh, the, um, the opportunity to get repatriated in case of, of war or, or event that would make it unsafe to live where they live, consular assistance is often uh, is often uh, discussed, um, but it's not. It doesn't correlate with with the tax laws. France has um, residency-based taxation, and and they would repatriate their citizens who are no longer taxpayers for free, whereas. The United States, which has a citizenship-based taxation system, uh, would repatriate its citizens, but then the Department of State would send them an invoice for the cost of repatriation. Okay. So, yeah, these these are benefits which are uh, used as a reasoning to justify the tax residence and the reasons why somebody would be subject to the laws of... Um, but basically, and just from a, an intuitively common sense man on the street sort of approach, uh, I mean, would you think that most people would say, yeah, I pay taxes in this country because I live there. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, when I... Yeah, most people in the world um, have one country. They they were born in a country. They still live in that country. Their bank accounts are in that country. Their families in that country, and um, and the issue of tax residence is um, doesn't occur to them. Well, well, that's right. That, that's right because you know if you're if you've only ever been in one place. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the only place you would imagine that you pay tax. 
Yes. Unless, what happens if you wake up, say you're living in Australia, and let's say you wake up one morning and you, you say, oh, you know, you talk to your parents, say, oh, by the way, you know, I, I need my birth certificate. Uh, can you get it for me? And uh, your mother comes in and hands you your birth certificate. And says, oh, my God, was, was I born in the United States? Is that true? Right, you know, yeah. so, I mean, you know, we'll get to that. But, but you know, so really from the point of view of, uh, so from the point of view of the individual, the expectation is likely they would pay taxes where they live. I think that maybe from the point of view of a government, though, the challenge is to decide, well, what does it mean? What are sufficient physical, physical connections to a country, right, that would justify imposing taxes on that person? So, I mean, let's use Canada as an example and go through some of the ways that Canada would determine tax residence. It's actually a very good model because, it, you know, it's sort of, A, it's kind of rational, which is unusual for these countries. Uh, but B, you know, it includes what a lot of other countries do. So one way, for example, in Canada, now Canada has very high taxes. I, I don't know if you know that or not. Were you aware of that? Oh, fact, yeah, yeah. It has, I, uh, in fact, it has an absolutely brutal tax system. It's, yeah. it's fairly easy to pay 50% of your income to, the gov to various governments in Canada without too, too much difficulty at very low uh, kinds of income. So, you know, there are incentives, I think, for people to perhaps say, you know, hey, you know, I don't, I don't want to live in Canada anymore. You know, the tax rates are too high. So one way, okay, one test for, well, are you a tax resident of Canada before we talk about breaking would be the test of ordinarily resident. Now, what in the God's name does it mean to be ordinarily resident in a place? I mean, is there a way to be resident in a place that's out of the ordinary? It's, um, well, we, as we'll see, um, yes, there are other than ordinary ways to be a resident, but an ordinary resident is somebody who has ties with a place, intends to reside in, um, in that place. And by default, if a Canadian tax resident leaves Canada with the intention of coming back, uh, they would remain a Canadian tax resident during the temporary periods during which they are out of Canada. Okay, so subject to certain exceptions that we'll get to, but basically ordinarily resident just kind of means that, hey, this is where I work, this is where I sleep, this is where I own my car, this is where I drink on Friday nights, this is where my favorite sports teams are, kind of everyday stuff, yes? And so I'm not sure saying, that the place where you drink is a factor, but the other ones definitely. Even if you're a regular? Um, well, actually, you can, um, you can ask the CRA for a determination using Form NR73, and that is not a question on the form. Um, it's not. I'm sure you can make a case for it, but, yeah. But, but, but one question on the form, as I understand with Canada, is that it's very difficult to not be a tax resident of Canada unless you're a tax resident somewhere else. Is that correct? Typically, yes. Yeah. Okay. So ordinarily residents. Now, now that's really a facts and circumstances test. Like somebody decides it. Okay. Unfortunately, it's probably some government bureaucrat who decides that. But let's imagine, okay, let's imagine. Now, you raise the situation of somebody who, uh, you know, strong, strong ties to Canada. But uh, let's say goes to Florida 
uh, you know, for the winter uh, or even longer, seven, eight months, or which is probably a bad idea, but let's just imagine that sort of situation. Um, in other words, the person maybe doesn't spend a majority of days of the year in Canada. Now that person still could be a tax resident, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. No problem at all. And correspondingly, it is possible for a person to spend mo you know, a majority of days of the year in Canada, okay, and be deemed to be a tax resident for that reason only, correct? Yes, that's correct. That's called a deemed resident. Right. So deemed residence means I don't really care what you're doing in the country. It doesn't matter to me. You know, what matters to me is that you're actually here. It's up to you what you do, right? Yeah. Okay. And so for Canada, you would be a deemed resident if you spent how many days here? 183 days a year. So, so that, yes, that's I, had a, I had a client who had, uh, was self-employed and was working remotely with clients outside Canada and had stayed for, um, for a few years in Canada. And in his view, he was just a long-term tourist. And he didn't have that many ties with Canada, actually, despite having lived there almost full time. And he wanted to discuss how he was not an ordinary resident based on the fact that he didn't have ties to Canada. And um, yeah, I told him it didn't really matter because then he would be a deem deemed resident. And there's only a small difference in that a deemed resident will necessarily be subject to provincial tax, but then there is a surtax on the federal at the federal level to offset any savings that would. Key um, point, though, is that if you're a tax resident of any kind, it generally spells trouble. Agreed? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've got, you know, we have ordinary resident. And by the way, my understanding is that South Africa, for people who are interested in this topic, and if you're not interested in it today, you will become interested in it as time goes on. Uh, but South Africa is really quite interesting because I understand that you can be ordinarily resident, uh, I'm sorry, you can be a deemed resident of South Africa with something like only 90 days of physical presence okay. in the country, okay? I, I, I met the 90 may be wrong, but it's substantially less than the Canadian standard, and that's quite interesting. Um, okay, now what about, so we have two kinds of residents. We have ordinary resident, that's just sort of, hey, are you really here? Are you really living here? We have deemed residents. In other words, the ordinary residence focuses more on your ties and what you're doing. The deemed residence says, we don't care what your ties and what you're doing are. If you're here more than 183 days, that's it, okay? But we also have something that is deemed non-resident. Now that's kind of an interesting topic and it you know creates certain opportunities um, deemed okay when we see the word deemed it means we only look at a very narrow set of circumstances non-resident the obvious example that comes to mind would be these tax treaty tiebreakers right mm -hmm. how do they work now now what's the first condition to be able to use a tax treaty tiebreaker one as I understand it you have to actually be tax residents of two countries that have a treaty. Would that be correct? Yes. So most treaties follow a template set by the OECD. And um, yeah, the template would list, would say that first of all, you need to be a resident of both countries under the domestic laws of these countries. 
And if that is the case, then there's a set of rules to determine which country you are actually a resident of, and you will be let off the hook of, of the other country. Right. So, for example, if we were to look at the Canada-U.S. tax treaty, okay, so let's imagine that we have somebody who's a tax resident in both Canada and the United States, leaving aside U.S. citizens for a moment. We'll come back to that, okay? U.S. citizens are special people. Okay. Yeah, uh, let me just say that there's something called the savings clause. Okay, let, hold on. Let, let's we'll we'll go we'll go to that in one second. Let's just explore how, in a general sense, tax treaty tiebreakers work. Let's imagine, okay, that we have. I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine, okay, that there's that there's a a treaty with the UK, for example, or with Australia, say Canada, Australia. Okay, it would have a tax treaty tiebreaker. Imagining that it does. So typically, the first clause would say, all right, so if you are a tax treaty of both Canada and Australia, okay, uh, now here's a treaty, because these two countries have a treaty, that will be used to determine, all right, which country the person is actually a tax resident of, because there's a general presumption in the international world uh, to, uh, that, that people are not going to be a tax resident of more than one country, okay? So the first clause is, as I understand it, generally the permanent home available, right? So if you had, for example, a permanent home available in Australia, but you did not have a permanent home available in Canada, then how would that operate? Where, where would you be deemed to be a tax resident in a case like that? Then you would be um, a tax resident of Australia, the place where you have a permanent home available to you. Right. And equally importantly, because it is a tax treaty tiebreaker, you would, one, be a tax uh, a resident of Australia, but you would also not be a tax resident of Canada, correct? That's correct. Okay, so that's extremely important. Okay. Now, another kind of tax resident, okay, so what we seem to have here, at least in Canada, and this is typical of a lot of countries, would be Ordinary residents, that's a subjective sort of thing. We're going to kind of look at somebody's got to make a decision based on, you know, how your life runs. We look at your life. Deemed residents, we don't care about your life. We just care how many days you were here. That's an objective. We just count that up, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. Third, if you're a tax resident of more than one country with a tax treaty tiebreaker, okay, you can be deemed to be a non-resident in Canada if pursuant to the treaty, Okay, you are a tax resident of another country, right? Yeah, right, so and that's a rather, I, you know, that's I deal a mostly wide with range. the U.S. tax system, and um, yeah, ordinary residents really doesn't exist in the U.S. tax system. Right. Um, so they, every, so um, all the U.S. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get into that in the next video. But I think it's important. I think you make a very important point here. The U.S. tax residence is all deemed tax residence. Okay, there is no test of ordinary residence, at least under the Income Tax Act. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry, under the Internal Revenue Code. Okay. While we're on the topic of, of, of tax residence in general, uh, there is also the issue of domicile, which uh, is used in some places. Uh, I think in the United States it's used for gift tax purposes. Uh, but generally speaking, okay, 
and it's used by a number of U.S. states, okay? So yeah. domicile has to do with your intention and all those kinds of things. But it's a little bit, I think, outside the scope of what we're, of what we're talking about today. So tax residency. Now. Yeah, I, so, I, I have a few clients with issues with California. And California looks at your domicile, which means that you have an intent of going back to California. And it's fairly difficult to prove, especially if you end up returning to California, uh, prove that you did not intend of going back even though you did. But yeah, we are mostly speaking about taxation at the country level today, so that's just a parenthesis. Right, well, you know, they didn't make, you know, make the title, talk about the song with the Hotel California in it for nothing, I guess, right? I mean, with California, you may be able to check out, but I guess maybe it's pretty hard to leave permanently, huh? Okay, now, so we've got tax residency, and, um, you know, before we get into the, the consequences of, of tax residency, which really vary depending on the country, because different countries have different kinds of tax laws, right? Um, why don't we introduce the concept here of breaking tax residency, okay? Now, this is uh, something that I spent a lot of time helping people do. Um, you know, for many, many different reasons. And, you know, and, and, and interestingly, I, I have not found that most people want to break tax residency for reasons of tax. Uh, you know, they want to they leave for, for other reasons, but they do have to break tax residency, otherwise they're still going to be subject to tax. Mm -hmm. Now, so to break tax residency, obviously you have to create conditions that no longer are sufficient for tax residency. So, you know, in the case of Canada, you've got to, you've got to move out, all right. Uh, you know, I think very often the treaty, uh, tax treaty tiebreaker is great because that makes you a deemed non-resident, okay. But, you know, in the modern world, you know, with shrinking government budgets and I think generally more and more predatory tax systems, you know, particularly for wealthier people, I mean, you know what? These governments, they don't want, they don't want wealthy ca uh, tax cash cows to leave, do they? Well, what I find interesting is that the first step of the treaty, as we mentioned, is a permanent home available to you. And if you think about the very wealthy people, it's not too difficult for them to have a piece of real estate somewhere which will remain un unoccupied in a country with a lower tax rate and just rent a few places in, um, in the country with an higher tax rate. Whereas for people of lower means, it's, um, it's harder to gain. And then you go to the second test, which is the center of vital interest which in my opinion is not too different from Canadian domestic law. So it gives an opportunity for wealthy people to arrange their real estate in order to have a good case to use the tax treaty. Right. Thing is though, let's say they use the tax treaty to break that tax residence. Uh, the simple fact of the matter is that countries like Canada, Australia, and the United States all have departure or exit taxes. In other words, you know, if you think you're just going to leave these places, 
sever tax residence and become tax resident of another country without paying for the privilege, you know, that's becoming very, very, very unlikely. And in the case of particularly the United States, I mean, the exit taxes are simply extraordinary. But more on that, more on that later. Now, we've only got a couple minutes left. And I think in sort of concluding the tax residency issue, I mean, I think that somebody listening to this might say, well, you know, I mean, this is all very, very interesting. But I mean, you know, I mean, who would know if I left the country and had bank accounts and financial accounts? And I think, you know, the answer is that, you know, we are now living in, uh, you know, what I would call a CRS, uh, OECD common reporting standard world where incredibly, you know, a, a very large number of countries have, in fact, the, the vast majority of the developed world have concluded these treaties where what they've agreed to do is essentially seek out and report uh, the names of people who have bank accounts in their country who are tax residents of other countries. Would you agree? Is that an accurate description? Um, yes, even short of that, you can make yourself a determination that you are a non-resident and stop filing Canadian tax returns. The problem is that if five years down the road, the CRA uh, was to audit you and was to disagree with you, you just got five years of back taxes to, to pay. Um, so the prudent thing to do is to ask the CRA what their view on the topic is and actually get a letter from the CRA saying that they see you as being a non-resident. Right. Now, what is that form in Canada? I think you've had some experience with helping people do that. What is that form in Canada, the, the determination of tax residency form? Yeah, it's NR73 or NR74. Okay, and are referring to non-resident, I presume. But in any case, yes, you know, you can get a you can get a factual determination on that. Now, I think just in closing here, um, what people will find is that sooner or later, their financial institutions, financial advisors, are going to be asking them to complete forms which ask questions about tax residency. Um, in the United States, okay, the questions tend to focus around citizenship, place of birth, because a U.S. place of birth presumptively makes you a U.S. citizen. But, you know, there are other questions that are asked that have bearing on tax residents in other countries. So bottom line is this, all right, that it is very, particularly uh, people who have very mobile lives, okay, people with uh, business interests in a large number of countries, I think would be very, very well advised to get clarity on what their tax residence situation is and take whatever steps are necessary to make sure that, uh, well, there's a saying, life is full of rude awakenings, okay, that they don't wake up one day and find out that they've been a tax residence in a country where they've had minimal connection to for a number of years. Would you generally agree with that? Oh, yes, definitely. I. Um... Yeah, I see what's called GATCA to be world, um, world out. I have a client who opened a bank account in Canada using a passport of a country which is not a member of the OECD. And he was happy that the bank didn't ask him about his tax residence just to find out a few weeks later that he received a letter specifically to ask um, about his tax residence. And it wasn't just a FATCA letter 
asking about ties with the United States. It was asking about which countries he has tax residency in. Yes, and interestingly, a very interesting anecdote. I don't know how to interpret this, but a couple of weeks ago, I became aware of a number of people in the United States, U.S. residents, who've been asked uh, by U.S. banks, okay, just out of the blue, whether they hold dual citizenship, uh, which is, uh, I'm not sure what the reason for that is, but it is interesting, and it's certainly consistent, okay, with a general push to get people to, you know, to categorize and identify people in terms of tax residence. Well, we'll continue this on with our next video discussing, you know, the most uh, interesting tax residents of all, tax residents American style. And uh, thank you very much for your participation on this one, Olivier. Thank you, thank you. It was my pleasure. Okay, see you soon. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase.